Miracle Day, Episode 7, Immortal Sins. I'm P.G. Bell. And I'm Gwen Williams. Welcome to another Impossible Podcast. Now, as we mentioned last week, uh, we're not going to be doing a full commentary this week because real life has got in the way somewhat, but we are going to be having a fairly in-depth discussion with me and Gwen, uh, back and forth about the episode. Uh, so, Gwen, first of all, did you have any... Preconceptions. Do you have any expectations coming into this episode? Coming into the episode, well, we knew we were going to see aliens, mm-hmm. so there was um, an expectation of a Torchwood, more Torchwood classic kind of theme to the episode. Mm-hmm. That was what I what I was expecting, I think. And uh, we were also talking about it being a period piece as well, which it yes. kind of sort of was. But that was my expectation mm-hmm. from the very long preview to it. <laughs> Yeah, that has been an issue actually, hasn't it? The um, the next time trailers in the UK seem to be an awful lot longer than oh, the ones in stars. Yeah. yeah, I think that is done deliberately for padding because the BBC has more a bigger time slot to fill. So it's a bit of a shame that they yeah. give away quite so much. Yeah, I'm sure I'd rather have blank space in between them than put all the episodes. But it's got to the point, I think, after six weeks of fairly by-the-numbers plotting, <laughs> yeah. where I'm quite happy for them to show me an awful lot of stuff for next week's episode if it looks different and interesting, which this one did. Yeah. yeah. And to be fair, I, I think they delivered. Um, I, I think this really marks a turning point for the series. It's where I, I felt it finally started firing on all cylinders. Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely true. It, it was Torchwood classic. I think, it, you know, if you watch that and you're mm. a Torchwood fan, it, it really seems like a Torchwood episode. Yes. And that is very exciting for us. <laughs> I think we've been complaining that the storyline so far has been fairly generic. It's been the yeah. sort of thing that every spy caper and every yeah, police procedure has, has been uh, churning out. And this week, for the first time, we got something that only Torchwood can do. Mm-hmm. My only concern with it was people who weren't familiar with the Torchwood series before mm. um, most of America probably wouldn't understand some of the things like they actually talk about the Doctor in it but you're right tonally it was quite a shift but it, I think we have all been quietly begging for that <laughs> for, for about a month <laughs> yeah, now hasn't it <laughs> So, just want to touch briefly on James Willett's review of last week's episode. He mentions the next time trailer, and he wasn't particularly looking forward to this week's episode because he said that infighting within a team is quite often used in these serialised dramas to generate cheap drama. It's quite episodic. It, it's thrown up one week just to try and fill a bit of space, generate a bit of tension, and then is normally solved by the end of the episode. So he was quite dubious about how they're going to handle that. And again, on the strength of the next time trailer, it did look um, as if Gwen was turning on Jack a little too readily. Yeah, but that wasn't... Well, they did a good job with it in the episode, I thought. It was borderline believable because of that yeah. tension in between her family and Jack. Mm. And as people, again, who are familiar with Torchwood will be aware of that kind of rift that has you know, been between Gwen's character before and Jack. Yeah. So that was probably more believable, again, to the people who know Torchwood. Mm. That's a good point. I, I do think Jane Espenson, who was writing the episode again, uh, which is her third this season, I think, she oh, she's basically, basically taken on the role of deputy showrunner, I think. Uh, but I do think she made a decent fist of the tension between Gwen and Jack. And yes, although I do think Gwen should have just maybe talked about with Jack, she did get around that within the plot by having her keep the uh, contact lenses in so that you yeah. knew she was being monitored. She couldn't act freely. 
Yeah. And the dialogue between the two of them in the car, I think, was nicely handled. It was quite good. Yeah, they, they weren't afraid to actually delve into kind of like, you know, that kind of underlying violence between their characters. Mm. Well, you know, this is, you know, this is as far as I'm going to go. And they, you know, they didn't um, back away from that kind of vitriol that they probably both have in their characters. I thought that was quite a good little psychological analysis of both of them as well. I think this is the, this is the most uh, character-heavy episode that yeah. we've had so far, hasn't it? That's true, yeah. yeah. And it's interesting if you consider that it's effectively two double acts this episode. You have Gwen and Jack, and then you yeah. have Jack and uh, not Giuseppe. Angelo, thank you. <laughs> Giuseppe. <laughs> I should have written that one down. <laughs> Um, in you know, two different time frames, but the mm-hmm. two you have the two relationships uh, oh, co- coinciding and interlocking. Oh, that's true. I didn't and think of that because they're Jack kind of parallels, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. Because he keeps Gwen, but he gets rid of Angelo. Yeah, so. absolutely. Yeah, and it's it's his relationship with Angelo is now having this serious impact on his relationship yeah, with Gwen. Yeah, yeah. It reverberates again, mm-hmm. which we've seen before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Some of Jack's character. Yeah, that is, that is interesting because Jack tends to have these. Um, almost episodes in his own life, you know, when he has certain people, then they cut off and, you know, they die, mm. as people from Torchwood do, and yes. then he continues on with another life and another life. But Gwen is the only character that we know of that is continuously um, transcended one of those borders mm, at right. the end of Torchwood. So. And again, I, I really liked that bit of dialogue that touched on that, where she talked about yeah. outliving the other members of Torchwood and how that made her stronger sure. and quite yeah. selfish. So there's some really good insights there. Yeah, very good. Let's dive into the period piece. Let's let's okay. go to okay. New York. What what did you think of the actual setting. of that period setting? I mean, it wasn't awful or anything like that. You know, it wasn't like obviously New York, New York, but I thought I it was it was quite done. It was, it was convincing. Yeah. I didn't feel like it was a set or anything. Well, it was a set, but it didn't feel gated or anything yeah. to me. I got the impression that the cinematography changed slightly as well. They seemed to use a dirtier brown filter yeah. and everything. Everything was slightly sepia tone. Well, it was like 19, yeah, you know, that period. Yeah. It, I don't know. It worked for me, I think. Yeah, I know. No, for me as well. Yeah. I got much more of a sense of place than I did uh, for that brief glimpse of Shanghai that we got <laughs> the week before. That's true, yeah. Yeah, I thought uh, the Yellow Silent scene was done quite well. Part of the history there, yeah. But I was um, something that I noticed about period piece, especially at the beginning, was actually in series three of Doctor Who, when Jack in, and um, the Doctor are in the Utopia episode, oh, actually the yeah. second one. Jack actually talks about um, figuring out that he's immortal when he's at Alice Island, which I never realized before. Oh, I just happened to be watching yes. it, and he said he was stabbed yeah. at Ellis Island, and that's how he found out he was. He's immortal. Yeah, I never that, put that that's together a very before. Good no, I yeah, haven't. and that, that was that was a million years ago. That was like, you know, yeah. series three. So I don't know if it's, that's actually what they were playing on, or yeah, I don't know. Perhaps, perhaps that's not his first visit to Ellis Island. Yeah, so, oh, very interesting. How yeah. that? Too. I did think I, I like the fact that we had a Jack taking part in a covert operation. Mm-hmm. That was wrapped up inside a single week. Because having waited oh, weeks yeah. and weeks for, for things to play out in the main plot, it's quite satisfying. Just have a little bite-sized mini mission, as it were. Yeah, that's pretty good. But, I didn't uh, believe the bootlegging part for the rest of us. The bootlegging part. Well, I kind of <laughs> like the bootlegging part. I, I, I felt that in true um, torture tradition, once we actually get to the revelation of the alien plot, it's completely <laughs> bonkers. <laughs> yeah. I'd rather they'd stuck with bootlegging almost. But, uh, <laughs> what was it they were going to get? Thomas Jefferson in. Affected with a no, no, brain. Uh, I'll get Eisenhower. my present. I'll get my 
presence mixed up. My, <laughs> <laughs> I'm bad enough with kings and queens of Britain, so... Uh, yeah, Eisenhower is going to be affected mm-hmm. before he was governor, so when he was in his second term of president, then he'd start making crazy decisions and not Nazis. No, yes, that was it. Yeah, I think that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's the logical progression yeah, of things. Of crazy president, Nazis win. Well, it, it was really just an excuse to bring Angelo yeah. and Jack together, wasn't that's it? True. I think. Yeah. I don't think the parasites themselves are going to be explored any further, but the people and the situations that Jack and Angelo came into contact with in pursuing those are okay. clearly going to be very, yeah. very important. Yeah, the tricks you're bringing in, I think, was the most interesting thing. The yes, that's right. The triumphant of whatever they are, three of them, I think. Mm, yes. Which and show up. And presumably these are the founders of the three families that we've uh, heard Tenerville and Zeus and other people behind the mysterious mm-hmm. spinning triangle that's been... Uh, appearing on various mobile phones and computer screens. That's true, yeah. And how they relate to Angelo is a mystery. Yeah, because he's really an outsider. We get the feeling of the Italian-American community, if we want to call them that. Mm. That's in there. He just seems like an agent for them at that point that they're using to, I don't know, kill Jack, you know, whatever's going on there. Mm. That was quite bizarre as well. That's one of the other things that um, I was flagging was Angelo actually stabs Jack with this strange-looking implement as well. Yes, yeah, it's, it's not a, a screwdriver. Or I honestly thought of the stake at first, like you know, the vampire. It was it was very mm. alien looking to me as mm. well. It was silver. Oh, no, you're right. It definitely wasn't a knife. I got the impression it was just a tool or something that he picked yeah. up. It, it looked very. It was I don't know. I have to look at it again, but it looked very technical. So I was mm. wondering if they didn't actually have ties with Angela before that. Mm-hmm. So, I'm aware he could have gotten something like that. See, that was one of the strongest points of this episode, the exploration of Jack's immortality, mm-hmm. which had been sort of wasted in the first two series of Torchwood and really came into its own in the opening episodes of Children of Earth, mm-hmm. when you know, the British military is effectively testing Jack to see what he can withstand, and he's blown up, and they smuggle a bomb into the Torchwood hub you yeah. know, inside him, and then they encase him in concrete, and they watch him grow back from fragments of flesh. And That's really great. Actually, Jack was pretty confident in that episode that he was going to come back even after being exploded. So yes, yes, he was. Didn't survive anything? Yeah. <laughs> this is it. Or you get the impression that he has really been through everything mm-hmm. like that. This is what marked out Children of Earth, I think, is that the tortured concept for all of the fun and all of the frivolity and all of the cheekiness that mm-hmm. they managed to build into it got really mature and got really dark. Uh, when it took itself quite seriously and explored its own premise to its logical extreme. And that's what they did in this episode, once Angelo had stabbed Jack Mm -hmm. and the secret of his immortality had got out and had got into this community. What is going to happen when people find out that somebody really can be stabbed and come back? And that, I think, is what this series should have been doing more of from the start, is just exploring um, what people's reactions are going to be and what they're going to want to do. Yeah. The fact this little cult appears to have grown up <laughs> around, around Jack. Well, there was that kind of subtle play on Catholicism and then, you know, that mm. kind of, you know, idea. And the, like, the, the church. Yes, this is it. And they, they took the blood. And, yeah. yeah. And there was almost a sort of crucifixion, the way that he was, he was strung up in the meat locker. Yeah, it was, it was very, very bizarre mm. like that. It was cool, though. But um, Angelo kind of even talks about it, I think, after he tries to save Jack at the end. He said that, you know, some people just wanted to, you know, beat you up and see if you would come back. But there were mm. other people who, well, I think the woman who with the jar was kind of the, the figure that we're supposed to be looking at yes. that believed in the miracle and that this mm. is a miracle. So there's yes. two different camps 
And and there we have we finally have a revelation of what the blessing is that was uh, mentioned yeah. in the previous week's episode. Now I had worried that they were going to string that one out <laughs> for a few more weeks and make us wait and make us guess. But so it's quite nice to have yeah. that delivered to us in part of the story. Touching on the subject of Catholicism and religion, it's the first mm-hmm. time I think that torture is really seriously Ever. addressed. Yeah. It has mentioned uh, Christianity, I don't think it's really mentioned any other religions previously, but it's, it's had some throwaway jabs, if you like, at Christianity. Really Again, at the beginning of Children of Earth, there's the Doctor, oh, who, yeah. who's mentioned that uh, the suicide rate amongst Christians, Christians, since aliens have been discovered, has rocketed because... I don't quite understand. I don't quite understand. <laughs> they, they believe that science has won, and if aliens exist, then God can't, but... Um, as a Christian, is sorry, Russell. Wonderful writer though you are. That's a that's nonsense. <laughs> yes, I, I don't understand how that works. This this was quite a sensitive and quite an even-handed and quite an in-depth examination of, of homosexuality or Catholic Church. Yeah. Church you know, what it means to what that would mean playing out in the story. How, how do you feel that was that was handled? It, it was all right. I didn't really believe that Jack would have that vehement. You know, he knows that he's living in the period, and they kind mm. of overplayed his um, objections to Angelus Catholicism and, and morality and sense of you know morality that homosexuality sexuality was wrong to him. Mm. Um, you would, I would have thought Jack would have understood that in that time period. But I, I guess they're playing again on his you know um, <laughs> omnisexuality kind of character. Yeah. That there's nothing wrong with this, in my opinion, mm. and that's you know. He's trying to convince Angelo, but Angelo obviously has a very, I don't know what you would call it, it's his worldview. Yes. Yeah. And there's nothing that you can do to change that mm. in that time period, which I thought they did a very good job of, because there's a lot of <laughs> Italian-Americans that are still like that today. Yeah. But no, I thought, I thought that was quite quite well handled, and I can perfectly understand, and indeed I'd quite welcome you know, the clash of cultures between Jack's homosexuality mm. and... When we say, yeah, 51st century homosexuality, he's basically a spokesperson for Russell T. Davis in the here and now, to a certain extent, isn't it? Uh, which, again, which is quite understandable, and, and that's only to be expected, and they've got no problem with that at all, because, you know, this, this show is his baby, so, yeah. you know. It was interesting to see that there was the counter-argument from Angelo's point of view, and mm-hmm. saying, well, no, things aren't as simple as you would have them be. Yeah, you know, yeah. And there is more to me than yeah. just this, yeah. Yeah. And that he didn't want to just get rid of his faith or his religion, but he wanted to try and reconcile the two, and that Angela was as conflicted within himself as Jack and Angela were as a yeah. as a couple. Yeah, that was that was hard for Jack mm. to understand, I think. And I, I think the thing that Angela really wanted, I think the thing that they stressed was forgiveness. It wasn't, you know, his, his well, it was his moral conflict, but it was the uh, eventual need for forgiveness. Yes. So I don't know if that's going to actually play out with this whole miracle thing as well, and the need for forgiveness and. Maybe yes, can Jack forgive him? There, and yeah. forgive Jack. Yeah, that would be interesting to see. Because I was left the impression that Jack thought quite strongly that you didn't need forgiveness and mm-hmm. whatever you wanted to do was, was fine. fine. Yeah. Uh, whereas Angelo was far more, um, I want to say humble, uh, but I don't think that entirely covers it. I think he is, again, a really good parallel to Gwen because Gwen is one of those people that, you know, I don't know if she'd need forgiveness necessarily, but. Has a, has a stronger moral outlook, I think, than Jack does. Mm. More stringent idea about what the world should be. Some credit has to be given to John Barrowman as well. While I don't think his acting really matched the guy who played Angelo, <laughs> yeah. which is a given, really. He, he, he's improving. You mm. can see him getting better. 
I made a crack earlier on in the series about John Barrowman being straight out of the Joey Tribbiani sniff fart school of acting from <laughs> that episode of Friends. But just as Matt LeBlanc improved year on year, John Barrowman is, is as well. He's learning as he goes. So, uh, yeah, it's, it, was, it was good. It was a strong episode all around. Yeah, we just have to watch out for one of the details and see if they actually pan out in the next one. That's my yes. Interesting that uh, we didn't have r- really any of Esther and Rex in this episode. <laughs> they were so sidelined. <laughs> but, when, but when they did turn up, they were effective. They were to the point they were taking action. Yep, that was, which was, good. That was very impressive. That was the most we've ever seen Esther do successfully. Yes, although I, I was screaming at the screen when, when, when um, Gwen handed her the gun at the end. I thought, no, don't trust Esther with a gun. <laughs> As far as we know, she's never, she's never had any firearm trip. She was sitting there with a sniper. I was very confused. Yeah. She, you know, she'd never quite gotten to that point in the CIA, I thought. No, the previous week, she'd been sort of in that fight um, in the basement, arms flailing, elbows going, you know, all over the place. She only made it to sniper training, not to self-defense, yeah. apparently. I mean, perhaps she played more for a call of duty at home. That's but, true. And it's very nice to see Nana Visitor from Star Trek Deep Space Nine um, back in work. She was the lady that they met at the rendezvous. She was Major Kira. Um, and although, and I, it was a wonderful double bluff, having had Torchwood outwit their captors and take control of the situation, mm-hmm. to be simply told, well, this makes no yeah. difference, you're going to come with us anyway. Well, they were, yeah, they are addressing Jack, I guess. Hmm. That's we all know he's going to do it. Yes. Part of the character. Absolutely. But for the first time, I actually want to go with him. I actually mm-hmm. want him to give in to their demands and say, well, no, really, Jack, go along with this because I want to see what happens. Absolutely, yeah. Mm. That's good. But if they thought that Jack was going to come along anyway, <laughs> did they <laughs> really need the whole kidnap? <laughs> <laughs> Again, I'm not sure Sergeant Andy of uh, the South Wales Constabulary. Yeah, he's never shot a gun before. He's never shot a gun before. Yeah, so why on earth is he suddenly in an armed police marksman unit? version of Esther. Yeah. Because in the United States, I assume all police officers get firearm training because they all yeah. carry all silence. Carry but in the UK... Mm, oh, certain people, right? Yeah, the yeah. police, well, they, don't, they don't carry firearms, they carry uh, pepper spray and they carry <laughs> truncheons. Like um, normal people But we have a few specially trained police marksman units. Yeah, I thought, I thought that was very rare. Yeah, he's really not a part of that. So someone's just handed that. Sergeant Andy a gun. <laughs> he's gone <laughs> charging into it. He's certain. Yeah. He so just do all the local militia. Very bizarre. Yeah, but yes, Sergeant yeah. Andy should not have a gun in there. should answer. No. That's the general opinion. Mm, yeah. But yeah, they came through. It was a nice little tension there. It was. It was. Yeah. And it's good to get some action from them. Yeah. So. Kind of remember that, you know, Reed's Although, again, no mention of Gwen's father. Her mother was there, her (laughs) daughter, her husband. Her dad not mentioned once. I I still insist that he was dropped off the back of the truck. Yes, (laughs) or he's still in it. He's parked in a lay-by on the A48 (laughs) somewhere. It's fine. (laughs) I'll remember him in a few weeks. That'll be true. Yeah, because Esther asked Gwen how her dad is when she does. Well, she deflects because she wants Jackson. Get back in the car, yeah. but she doesn't even bother to answer. No, no yeah. she probably didn't know either. Mm. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> and we're also missing two other people <laughs> from this uh, episode as well. 
Um, oh yes, Julian, Julian Oswald. Julian Oswald. Yeah. We did. There was <laughs> he, there was reference to them though, wasn't there, on the car radio? Oswald was um, defending the camps, which struck me that as was odd weird. because yeah. only the previous, well, not the previous week, but two weeks prior to that. He had been in the hospital in D.C. saying he was going to become the spokesman yeah. for these people who had been forgotten. The Category 1s had just been left. Yeah, yeah, he was now the voice of, of the dispossessed. Yeah. I was thinking that we're supposed to put together that and also understand that he's now working for FICOR and is, you mm. know, their mouthpiece. Yeah, although that was kind of, yeah, yeah during the rally, he just does his own thing again. Yeah, so, so, really it's, so we, we've had him... Basically being the voice of all three sides now. <laughs> Nobody quite seems to have a monopoly on Oswald Downs, which yeah, is um, that's really bizarre. Yeah, yeah. but um, again, we'll have to see how that plays out. Yeah, I don't think you really missed the episode. It's strong. No, no. Backlot, so. Again, it wasn't wasn't yeah. until the end credits were rolling that I realised we hadn't seen him. So. Yep. And it's nice to see another of their guest stars coming back in next okay. week's episode. I don't know if this was in the US version of the next time trailer, but. Uh, the CIA director, Dennis Nedry from Jurassic Park, <laughs> after I made these bold predictions that we were never going to see him again unless he turned up in the final wow. episode, I spoke too soon because he is there in the next week's next week's episode. Told you, Velociraptor. Yes, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Zombie Yanto and a team of Velociraptors are the ones behind the whole thing. It's true. So, there we go. That's episode seven, Immortal Sins. Thank you for listening. And uh, we'd love to hear your opinions, and so do feel free to chime in. Uh, join us on the Facebook page and uh, have a chat with us there, or leave your comments in the comments section of the blog. James Willis will be back with his review of this episode later in the week. And, of course, we're winding up to the grand return of Doctor Who Series 6 this very weekend. We won't be able to get a commentary online Saturday night, unfortunately, because the BBC haven't supplied us with a preview episode. But we do have some audio footage from the Q&A at the BFI preview screen that Caleb was able to, to attend last week. That will be coming online this Saturday. Do tune in for that. If you want some insight from Stephen Moffat and the rest of the cast, then do tune in and listen. Uh, in the meantime, thank you very much for listening, and uh, we'll speak to you again. Bye-bye. Goodbye. You've been listening to The Impossible Podcast. For more Doctor Who commentaries, plus other science fiction and fantasy reviews and discussions, please visit our website, impossiblepodcasts.blogspot.com, or search for us on iTunes. We'd love to hear from you. Please follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, or email us via impossiblepodcasts at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>